Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and my employees and I want to thank each and every one of you for your support by bringing you the My Pillow that started it all. My Pillow's patented fill adjusts to your exact individual needs regardless of your sleep position. Because it works, we've sold over 70 million My Pillows, and now I'm bringing it to you for the lowest price ever. For example, you get my standard My Pillow now only $19.88 with your promo code. Now's the time to get them for your friends your family, your neighbors, everyone you know. My pillows make the best gifts ever. In the times we're in, one thing we all need is getting a great night's sleep. So go to mypillow.com or call that number on your screen now. Use your promo code and you'll get my standard my pillow for only $19.88. For a more custom fit, my premium queen, only $24.98. Or my premium king, only $29.98. This is a limited time offer, so order now. What a fantastic sale. Use the code word Kate. It helps the show. You can get up to 90% off right now. Take advantage of it. Stock up for Christmas. So many deals that Mike is doing, and it also helps expose election fraud. Thanks, you guys. Use the code word Kate. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to tell you real quick. Look, we didn't invest in uh, T-shirts and hats. We could have. Believe me, I've come up with a slogan or two, as you could probably imagine. We have the commemorative uh, Kate Daly Show coin because... We want to put money back in your pocket. And we knew that right now, with everything going on, you would want to invest in precious metals. This is a real silver coin. It is a uh, minted after the first coin ever produced in the United States. It has a piece of history that I love. And it has the Kate Daly Show on it, Be Faithful, Be Fearless. comes in a beautiful case. $99, and most of that goes to the show. But it is going to put money back in your pocket. And I do think silver's only going up. I wanted to make sure that you got something out of that, out of helping Truth in Radio. We're up against a lot because shows like this don't go on for a long time because uh, corporations usually edge us out. And I don't want that to happen. Please help this show stay on the air and you can help free speech and know that you did something to help free speech in America survive this. Radio is very important. It's a very important element because you're listening. And when people are listening, as Rush used to point out, when people are listening, they're digesting those words better than watching stuff something on TV and watching visuals. It's a really important medium. And I want to stay here doing this show with all of my favorite co-hosts. So thank you. Go to Kate Dally radio.com and please pick up a few of those coins i would really appreciate it thank you from the bottom of my heart think while it's still legal the kate Daly show starts now in the fall in a big way and so my sense is well partly because of the ukraine conflict and the fact that we're wiping out a big chunk of the world's wheat supply and fertilizer supply that we're going to be putting about 150 million people under intense food pressure really starting this fall. I think that's when it's going to kick in. And my sense is, well, there's no way that can happen without mass migration pressure on Europe, maybe of a scale that makes the last migration crisis look like virtually nothing. And so am I being paranoid about that? You seem to be thinking along the same lines. And you said you've seen this coming for about three years. Mm, That was Jordan Peterson interviewing my next guest. So that was the question posed. And boy, are we going to have a great conversation. In fact, welcome back. Last hour on a Friday. I hope you're excited for your weekend. I know I am. And uh, and I love Fridays. Uh, but I also wanted to mention, go get the commemorative Kate Daly Show coin. We could have done t-shirts and hats, but it wouldn't have put money back in your pocket, which I know you need right now. If you'd like to help Truth and Radio, they're $99. And they're right on the website, katedalyradio.com. And they are uh, they are 
were actually uh, minted after the first coin ever produced in the United States as the United States. Lady Liberty surrounded by stars. It's a piece of history. And please uh, go get one and or several, please, and uh, help Truth and Radio and put some money back in your pocket because you're investing in a real silver coin. And I love that. So, and if you're looking at everything, that's, that's a big, that's a big deal right now. People are kind of understanding, Hey, silver is a, is a big deal. So please go and do that and go to katedallyradio.com, share the show. Um, and I thank you. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Look, we have a, a wonderful guest. Let's get right to it. Um, Michael Yon is, uh, is, uh, you know, one of America's youngest green berets was at 19 years old, joins um, joins me uh, to discuss this current state of affairs across the globe. He's traveled. He's lived over half his life abroad in more than uh, 80 countries. And, of course, the author of three books in the United States and three others in Japan and, of course, the most experienced combat correspondent. So I can't wait to hear what you have to say as you visited the Netherlands and as you uh, we've talked about the Dutch, Michael, and and what's been going on with those farmers. We talked about Canada and those uh, truckers. I mean, there's so much going on under the hood that I can't wait to talk to you. So welcome to the show, Michael Jan. How are you? Um, Thank you. I'm talking to you from London right now. Yeah. I'm going on my fourth month this time in Europe. Uh, in the last uh, two years, I've spent, uh, well, about maybe five months in Europe and wow. um, going all over the place, checking out migration issues, whether that's down in Africa, Morocco, or Greece, Bulgaria, Lithuania, Netherlands mm-hmm. with the farmers and migration issues, also Germany and Luxembourg. Luxembourg's gone with the wind. It's over. It's approximately... 50% uh, migrants now when I Is was just over in Luxembourg. Jeez. Oh, it's unbelievable. And I mean, and I, I'm not talking about um, a lot of migrants that are adding to Luxembourg. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Luxembourg is a tiny country. It used to be considered the jewel of Europe. I hadn't been there since I was in the Army, actually. So it's been a while. And um, but I lived in Europe for six years, so I'm quite familiar with Europe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I uh, went to Luxembourg to check it out. And there was just, it was, you know, look at the statistics online. You'll see it's a 47 or 48% or something. And uh, I, I saw in, how long was I there? Six days? I probably saw 10 fights, literal fights Jeez. in the streets, people defecating on the streets. Uh, Luxembourg, the jewel of Europe. I mean, right. old Europe, you know. And, uh, right, you know, that's where General Patton is buried, uh, along with thousands of our soldiers I went to. Mm-hmm. to see their graves at, the, at one of our national cemeteries. And, Jeez. you know, it's just it was sad to see that happening. Are you sure you are you sure you weren't in uh, San Francisco? <laughs> they have the same problem over there. Oh, it's gross. I was in San Francisco last year, actually. Oh. Actually, I went to school in San Francisco. Did you really? Years ago. I went, mm. I, yeah, I went to a language school there. And mm. uh, when I went to language school in San Francisco, it was actually very nice. Yeah. Um, that was the, you know, as a Florida boy, uh, San Francisco was the first really big city that I spent any time in. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of a, you know, shock to the system in that regard when I was a young soldier. Yeah, it's a shock <laughs> and now. Then, uh, but still, it was a nice town then. Yeah, yeah. And I've been back numerous times mm-hmm. since, including a couple times in the last couple of years. And man, right. that place has gone downhill. Well, you know, it's it's the, the borders are all open. And this is a very interesting thing to watch and sad. Not just interesting, but just pathetic, really. And so uh, on our border, what are your thoughts about uh, our open border right now? Well, when I leave here, I'll go straight back to the border. Uh, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time on our border. 
In fact, I was there for the inauguration, if you want to call it that, Washington, D.C., and I flew straight to the border from there within 24 hours, and the flood began immediately as soon as Biden seized office. And, you know, so I spent a lot of time down in Columbia and mm-hmm. Panama, took two congressmen into the Darien Gap for mm-hmm. people who know what I'm talking about. I've been right. warning that South America is set to be the huge highway, and it is now. Actually, it has now happened. Um, I've spent months down there. I took two congressmen, Tom Tiffany from Wisconsin. That's a brave man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, took uh, uh, Burgess Owens from Utah, also mm-hmm. very courageous. Took them probably 25 miles out in the jungle and uh, where the uh, migrants are coming through. And the Indians out there kill a lot of migrants. If you look up Darien Gap, mm-hmm. D-A-R-I-E-N, Gap, G-A-P, mm-hmm. uh, it's called Gap because there's no highway for more than 60 miles. Uh, but you will see that the, the, the migrants are murdered literally seven days a week there. And that, those are actually the Indians that I, you know, uh, mm-hmm. got to know. It took months to do it. And then I finally arranged to take uh, two congressmen down in there and showed them what's happening. But anyway, so I spent a lot of time in Mexico. I was down in Mexico uh, just before I started this trip to Europe. I was down in, in Mexico at Piedra de las Negras mm-hmm. near uh, Eagle Pass. And I saw that the Dutch farmers, because so I was, you know, Almost four months ago, the Dutch farmers started blocking streets. So I was down there in Mexico, and I said, that's it. i got to go see what's happening with the Dutch farmers. Right. Uh, because, you know, farmers, as a war correspondent, I always pay attention to, to farmers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to listen to farmers. Farmers are, they just know stuff. You know what I mean? Right. And they've got, every country I go to, I get along with farmers. Every single one, without exception. Even, I was out with Taliban farmers in Afghanistan. And at one point, I'm like, I don't, e- I don't even know why we're bombing these guys. I like them. Right. I like farmers. Well, they're the... Even Taliban farmers I like. And yeah. They, and they, have, they just have common sense. Well, and yeah, so they're the salt to... of the earth. I think they're the salt of the earth. I think they are the core of this country. And they're going to get hit first. And they're going to be pretty honest and say, what's up? Right? And so they're going to say that, you know, what's going on with the food supply, just like they are in the Netherlands. Oh, yeah. So when I saw the farmers were blocking the streets in the Netherlands, I left Mexico, drove up to Austin, jumped on an airplane and flew to the Netherlands. And, uh, you know, I was down in ne- all over Germany and, uh, and uh, Austria and Hungary and just checking everything out, che- you know, Czech Republic. And I- you wouldn't believe how many trees they're cutting down in Germany right now. It's unbelievable with the energy issues that are going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I probably drove a thousand miles through Germany because I drove from Netherlands over to the Czech Republic and down to Hungary and then through Austria, back over to Netherlands, all over the place. I was driving all over Germany and I couldn't believe how many miles of forests were being cut down. And these are because they know they're not going to have enough energy to get through the winter. The str- so to death, here's to death, right? right. But here's the weird thing, though. They were out in the news in in, uh, in the summer in August saying, oh, yeah, we've got 80 percent of our reserves. And uh, that second pipeline wasn't even going because we wouldn't certify it because of the whole green Mother Earth movement. But they had 80 percent of their store. So are they just lying to the people then and telling them they don't have enough and people are going crazy? Is that what's going on? Because they government came out and even said, yeah, we've got 80 percent, almost 85 percent of our storage for, for this fall and winter. But then the headlines say a different tale. Well, I think they're going to run out probably by late December or early or sometime in January. Um, now, keep in mind, 80 percent, if they have 80 percent, which is what they're mandated to do right before mm-hmm. that, that 
takes into account that the flows are open, right? Mm -hmm. That the flows are going. So the flows are stopped now, which I've been warning about for a long time. Uh, mm -hmm. The Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream, of course, Nord Stream 2 had never been operational. The Nord Stream 1 um, was fully operational. Right. And then, uh, you know, Putin cut it off there for a while for maintenance. And then he brought it back up to 22%. I used to watch it every day because there's a website. You can check the flows, right? Mm -hmm. And it'll give you the actual, like, really uh, to a uh, high degree of accuracy flows. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he said, uh, uh, you know, uh, Putin said he would cut it off on, uh, I think, October 1st. So I was up late that night just watching on another screen. Is he going to cut it? And there it went. <laughs> yep. You know, and I'm like, Blamed wow, on there Russia. you go. And I thought that he would do that. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. And then, of course, something happened. Someone sabotaged it. And so both Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2. And again, mm -hmm. now there's other pipelines that are highly vulnerable, like the Yamal pipelines going to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's a Turkish pipeline. And then there's a, a lot of um, numerous uh, mm -hmm. flows that are coming from Norway and, and other directions. But I, I, I think if my paradigm is correct, one by one, we're going to see these interrupted in one way or another. Yeah. Uh, because it's clear that we're, it's clear that we're experiencing a methodical mm -hmm. uh, nation-state size uh, series of sabotages that are going on. That's utterly clear. Right. Um, and very manufactured. At the political levels, and mm -hmm. it, oh yeah, and it's happening at the political mm -hmm. levels, and it's happening at the physical levels. For instance. Um, Cutting, you know, uh, going after mm -hmm. the Dutch farmers. They're not the only ones. That's been a, I just got a message from a Dutch farmer just before we came on air. Mm -hmm. You know, they're very upset because they're going to force a buyout of hundreds of Dutch farmers soon. And, uh, you know, and, and they're doing the same in Germany. And in the Netherlands, they're, the, the excuse that the Greens are using, the West, as they call them in the Netherlands, actually a World Economic Forum, which is mm -hmm. actually separate from the Greens, but they're mm -hmm. consanguinated there. But, but the, um, but the, um, uh, in the Netherlands, the excuse that they use is stickstoff, which is nitrogen. That's Dutch for nitrogen. It's also mm -hmm. German for nitrogen, so stickstoff. Mm -hmm. But you cross the border two miles away, and it's not stickstoff, but it's it's uh, carbon dioxide. So, they're, 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 you know, so it, you just cross the border, and, okay, it's not a stickstoff problem here because we're in Germany. You know, here it's carbon dioxide. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, yeah. They just I make know. it up and tailor-make it for every market. That right? is so true. And, and um, yeah. And by the way, when you said uh, Biden seized office, yes, it was a definite coup and there was a lot of election fraud. So this whole thing is, is oh, yeah. manufactured and um, and manufactured at every point. We wouldn't have a problem at all if it weren't for, for this administration making sure that they're creating these shortages. And that's why I asked you about Germany, because Germany's been up front. They said they only needed 85% for the winter, and uh, they were already at 80 and almost close to 85. And then here we are sending them all of this LNG to um, LGN2 uh, Europe since February. So none of this makes sense. It never will. We're going to come right back more with Michael Yon when we come back. Let's talk about the coming famine let's talk about you predicted this um three a couple of years ago right almost three years ago and so where are we at and in this cycle what's happening and we'll get the details right when we come back from michael be right back kate daly show kate daly radio.com talk lines are open now Call 888-673-1450. This is the Kate Daly Show.
Kate Daly Show. Glad to be here on a Friday. And uh, my guest in the previous hour, Dennis Prager, and in this hour, Michael Yon. And we're talking a little bit about what's going on in the world and then also uh, the coming famine. What does this look like? And and not even to scare you. I don't like the fear thing, but there are some things that you actually, we actually should be thinking about right now and preparing for that I don't think the populace is right now. I think we don't want to think we could go there and we walk into the store and we go, oh, everything's fine. So it's fine. So no biggie because you see a lot of juice and crackers and meat and all. And even though it's skyrocketed in price, thanks to the coup on this nation, um, we are still looking at it going, no, there's plenty of product. And I'm going to say that Michael will probably uh, disagree with what this looks like uh, in a short time from now. So Michael Yan is my guest. And um, so tell us, you know, just a little bit, um, Michael, about the the shortage problem that you're seeing. It's kind of like the beginning of a hurricane. What does this look like to you right now? Yeah, uh, boy, we can go in a lot of different directions with this. Let's yeah. start with fertilizer. Let's start with the Haber-Bosch process. Okay. For those who are, some people call it the Haber-Bosch process. Mm-hmm. And Haber-Bosch process was, it was something, uh, a, a, a German chemist named, uh, named uh, Fritz Haber, mm-hmm. Fritz Haber uh, wrote a book on thermodynamics in 1905 in which he described uh, that he thought that you could take uh, natural gas and combine that with, atmos- with the atmospheric air that we breathe with the, and strip off the nitrogen and combine it with the hydrogen, bottom line, make ammonia, right? Mm-hmm. And so the problem was is the, the world needed more fertilizer. And fertilizer, in, in addition that it can be made into explosives, the ammonia-based mm-hmm. fertilizers, right. uh, also the, con- the country with the best uh, fertilizer and the best um, uh, agriculture is militarily Hi, I mean, that's, a, that's like a whole weapon system in and mm-hmm. of itself, right? Right. So um, Fritz Haber put a lot of work into that. And in 1908, he actually made, synthesized his first ammonia, got a few drops out. And then that's when uh, Carl Bosch came along. Carl Bosch, uh, also a German chemist, he uh, brought the Haber, the Haber process into industrial scale at BASF in Ludwigshafen, Germany, where I just left, actually. Mm-hmm. And so in 19... 19- 15, they really started bringing it out, and they started the plant in 1913. And by 1914, they started some uh, processing there and, and BASF at Ludwigshafen, Germany. And by 1915, they were in production. They were making uh, ammonia, right? Mm-hmm. And so the other 4 billion people on Earth are a direct result of the ability to make these nitrogen-based fertilizers, right? Mm-hmm. So most of us are alive today because of the Haber-Bosch process. Right? This is important. So this depends on mostly on natural gas. You can't make it out of just electricity. You, can't, you can have all the money in the world. You can have all the electricity and solar and, and uh, you know, windmill power in the world. And guess what? You're not going to have the nitrogen-based fertilizers, period. You have to have the gas, coal gas or natural gas, mostly natural gas, right? Mm-hmm. And so without that, billions of people will literally starve to death, right? So what's happening? I've been all over Germany looking at this, and uh, I've been watching it for a long time. I've been warning about it. You can see, well, Germany doesn't have enough natural gas. So of the 26 nitrogen-based, nitrogen uh, fertilizer plants in Europe, uh, all of them are either now shut or mostly shut. At least 70% of the capacity is not operating now. That means famine, period. There's no way through it. 
you're going to hit the wall, right? And so these plants are normally operating 365 days a year, except for short periods of maintenance that each of them have to go through. I, I just had dinner with Jordan Peterson, mm-hmm. the CEO of one of these plants, uh, a couple of weeks ago in Netherlands. And, uh, and we talked, and I've, been, I've been researching this for quite a bit with people just like that. And, and if, you, if, if these plants are shut down, there's just not going to be enough fertilizer. And they are shut down, mostly shut down, right? Mm-hmm. And it's getting worse because now uh, Germany, for instance, uh, they're cutting down their forest. I've driven all over Germany, and it's just unbelievable. And uh, for firewood, it's greenwood, too. It's not even going to burn well. For those Dude. people who mm-hmm. use, uh, you know, uh, ch- um, fireplaces, you know that greenwood's not the best fuel. But let's get back to the natural gas. So Germany is now setting up heating stations, or they call them heating islands. It'll be uh, places for people just to stay warm this year, like school gymnasiums and that sort of thing. So that way, you know, the German tribes will have the opportunity to meet the Somali tribes that they welcomed in. And, uh, and they're, they're, they continue to bring in migrants, even while they're going into food and energy issues that are truly existential. As we talk right now, German plants are being taken offline. I mean, we're, we're looking at plants that in, in the near future that could go offline would be like BMW. We're, this is mm-hmm. serious business. So we're talking huge amounts of people unemployed. We're talking the nitrogen-based fertilizers not being created, which means billions of people starving to death around the world. Not millions. We're into the billions. That's why when I was talking with Jordan Peterson on his uh, interview, we went for two hours. And, uh, and finally, when it was over, he said, you know, can I come over with you in Europe? And so, yeah, he came over. He's doing his tour here anyway. We met up in the Netherlands. We spent two days together mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, took him out and, you know, to a farmer and scientist and this sort of thing. And I just was quiet and let them talk, you know. And, and by the time it was over, you know, well, Jordan, he's a super smart guy. He doesn't need uh, too much information to realize that something's actually wrong here on a very large scale. And this mm-hmm. is clear sabotage. This is not, this is not all just from, you know, uh, bad governance. This is clearly, uh, uh, the bigger parts of it clearly are intentional. A lot of the attacks on our food supply are happening at the political level. For instance, Dutch farmers and Americans, Canadians, Germans, Polish. Uh, Polish are fighting back more because their government's more uh, sensible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, um, uh, but the, uh, certainly the, the, the Italians and the, the farmers are incredibly upset with this. The Belgian farmers, they're, they're apoplectic. And because the, the governments are trying to shut them down and using all these bureaucratic mechanisms that are, you know, coming from the EU headquarters there in, in uh, Brussels. And uh, it's just uh, they're governing by, by edict, right? Right. And, uh, and so you, you see the, the, the Dutch farmers are incredible farmers. They're shutting down their greenhouses. A lot of, their, uh, a lot of the farming in, in Netherlands is actually done in greenhouses. You wouldn't believe the amount of greenhouses there unless you've seen it before. It's right. unbelievable. And so they're, 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 those greenhouses depend on natural gas, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Netherlands has a lot of natural gas in a place called Groningen. Groningen, it's under their feet. But mm-hmm. as they pumped out natural gas, and, and all the infrastructure is there, all you got to do is turn the valve a little bit more. They do pump a little bit out right now. But all they got to do, if, they, if, if, if Netherlands just turns the valve a little bit more, it has enough natural gas for all of Netherlands and a lot of northern Germany, including BASF, to make those nitrogen base. But they won't do it, right? Mm-hmm. This is the thing that you're not hearing people say. And why don't they do it is the next question, the obvious next question. It's the same thing here in the U.K., too. I'm in London right now. 
up in a place called Blackpool. It's the same thing. They got plenty of natural gas up there, and uh, they're leaving it in the ground. But let's go back to the Netherlands and Groningen. Uh, as they pump the gas out of the ground, there started to be some earthquakes, like, you know, whoppers at 2.3, you know, on the Richter scale. Right. So basically leaving some cracks in people's houses, small, tiny earthquakes. But they use these in information more. By the way, those three books that I wrote in, you know, just for Japanese uh, are only about information war. Information war is the highest form of warfare, and that's why I put so much study into it. This whole operation depends on on the most sophisticated information war that's ever been unleashed on humanity. You know, whether it's taking the death jabs or believing that the stolen election was not stolen, uh, allowing literally millions of people, migrants that are un, mm-hmm. that should, you know, I've, I've spent more than half of my life out of the United States, right? Uh, I, I, you know, I, and actually uh, almost 90 countries now, more than half of my life. And one, one of the big lessons I can take away from that is not all fish can coexist in the same aquarium. And Europe is being overrun with incompatible people. When these food shortages really hit, there's going to be war, period. Because remember, the death triangle, pandemic, famine, war. And this is mm-hmm. why in January of 2020, I started warning about famine, which people that followed my work for many years had never heard me warn about famine before. Right. You know, maybe once every six months or a year, I would say, you know, it's good to study up on famines just in case. Mm-hmm. But as soon as January 2020 came around, that was when I got kicked out of Hong Kong. I was there, you know, watching that happen for seven months until mm-hmm. they kicked me out. And that was right when the pandemic started, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, pandemic. And, yeah. uh, and that was when I started warning about famine because the death triangle there, pandemic, famine, war, it's the triangle of death. If you get one, you always get the other two. If you get a war, you're going to get a big war. I'm not talking some right. small war on a little island somewhere. But if you get a big war, you're always going to get famine and you will get pandemic with no exception. If you get a big pandemic, you'll get the other legs of the triangle. If you get a big famine, you'll get war and mm-hmm. you'll get pestilence, right? And I was doing an interview maybe a year and a half ago and one of my readers, uh, a lady said afterwards, she's like, you know, you, you act like you made up this pan for war, pandemic, famine, war. And I said, I did. She goes, no, you didn't. It's in the Bible. And it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's the four horsemen. Don't you remember? Yeah. Like, you know what? I'll bet that's where I got it from. Mm-hmm. And I thought that I made it up because it's clearly in the Bible. And they <laughs> right. knew about it 2,000 years ago. It's the four horsemen. Yes. And now also in the Bible is something I just saw in Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was out with a farmer, the farmer that I took uh, Jordan Peterson to go see. He's starting to see what's called gleaning, gleaning. Gleaning is uh, a, a gleaning, it's like cleaning, but with a G, right? Mm-hmm. Gleaning. Gleaning is when people come, you know, after the harvest, 2 to 3% of the crop usually is left in the field, like the onions fall off the truck or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and so gleaning is when people come and they pick up the, that, that remainder that didn't actually get harvested. And this farmer, Jordan, he said, you know, I'm starting to see something that I've only heard my grandparents and my parents talk about. Old people are starting to glean the fields here after the harvest. He said he saw some old people picking up onions, for instance. And gleaning uh, is actually in the Bible as well. I mm-hmm. mean, you, and, and it's interesting because there was a very uh, fascinating painting from, when was that? Uh, 1857, I think. And it was, um, you know, uh, French, uh, French peasants gleaning mm-hmm. the fields. It was a highly political uh, painting at the time. But when, when you start to go into famine conditions, you'll see people start to glean. Yes. Another thing you'll Book see of people Deuteronomy. start to do. Mm-hmm. Weird. 
actually book yeah, of De- yeah book, uh, we just talked about that in the last hour so book of deuteronomy talks about this serious? yeah <laughs> we're talking about gleaning yeah, well, we talked about the book of I was out on the street. We talked about the book of Deuteronomy because um, that was the stuff that that was the whole book that uh, Dennis Prager covered, and so it talks about uh, they should leave the edges of their field unharvested, uh, should not pick up which was you know right. that which was dropped. Interesting. So yeah, kind of goes along with what we we're that's talking. Right. So that's right. That's mm. right out of the Bible, and and also the corners in Netherlands. They, mm-hmm. the, the tractors can't. Uh, harvest the corners very well anyway. But so another thing in, in the many books I've read on famine, uh, I've seen some food shortages and that sort of thing in the wars I've been in. Uh, but mostly, especially in U.S.-led wars, we were also bringing a huge amount of food, right? Right. Um, um, anyway, but not to go into that. But the bottom line is uh, one, of the th- one of the patterns, I've seen, you see a lot of patterns. When I, I read voraciously. I read mm-hmm. like unbelievable amounts. And, and so one of the patterns I've seen in, in books on famine uh, is people starting to carry spoons around, spoons, right? And so I mm-hmm. said this about a year, year and a half ago. And again, mm-hmm. a lady just said on my comments on my locals page a couple, two or three weeks ago, mm-hmm. she said, you know, a well-dressed man came into our church mm-hmm. and he was actually carrying a spoon. Like, oh my gosh, carrying a spoon? Yeah, okay. Said, Are you kidding? We're gonna we're gonna come right back. Yeah, we're gonna come right back. More with Michael Yon when we come back. Don't go anywhere. Kate Daly Show. The Kate Daly Show is brought to you by Aragosta. Talk lines are open now. Call 888-673-1450. This is the Kate Daly Show. Sophie Tucker, uh, woo. <laughs> uh, welcome back. And uh, important subject this hour with Michael Yon. And I just wanted to mention really fast, look, preparewithkate.com. I can't say it enough. Preparewithkate.com. Make sure you're getting some food storage under your belt because this is the time. Everyone's having these feelings right now. You can't even imagine the messages I get right now. It's like, I have this feeling. I have this feeling. Yeah, you have the feeling for a reason. And uh, I'm sure this happened in biblical times too. And and of course you look around and you think, well, yeah, but what I'm seeing, I'm not seeing that. It doesn't matter. If you're having those feelings, do it. Because if it comes, it comes hard and quick. And it's uh, it's not going to be pretty here in, in America. So please, please go to preparewithkate.com. And when you click, it'll kind of bring you into the site. And uh, there's all kinds of uh, deals. And you can actually get three months or a year worth of food in your home. And then... Um, you can make payments on it later even. So it it works for just about every budget. Preparewithkate.com. Also, get a go to Inside Out Hyperbarics and get a hyperbaric machine in your home because let me just tell you, when things aren't uh, going well in this country, but you have a way to um, help heal yourself of things, uh, you're going to be so grateful you had that. So grateful. And if you tell them uh, about the show, they're going to knock 500 bucks off. That's a steal. So... Please go to insideouthyperbarics.com and set yourself up in, in, in preparation 
uh, for what can come and you can use it right now. So that's an even better thing uh, to get yourself healthy and to, like Joe Rogan said on his show, lengthen those telomeres um, and make sure that you could even, well, you can even reverse aging while you're doing it. So um, my guest is Michael Young, and we're talking a little bit about uh, the famine, about what what's coming that people aren't talking about, they're not really expecting. And this these always back in history, even with the Holodomor, they need a couple of, they, it takes like a year and a half, two years for it to flesh out. And we've already been at this for a year That's what, or, or more. That's what people don't understand. Michael, you were saying this in the beginning of 2020. So what, what I think what people really want to know, and I know you probably don't have a crystal ball, so I'm not asking you for that. But what is your sense when it comes to the fact, hey, when do I go to the store and see a couple of bags of flour or sugar? And right, right now it could be 30 and I only see a couple. Do you know what I mean? What, what? It depends on where, yeah, it depends on where you're at. Um, and it can happen suddenly, like you said. Uh, but certainly by 2023 in parts of Europe, for sure. And I would say in parts of the United States as well. Uh, but I don't see us getting through 2024 without mass starvations going on around the world, or even 2023 for that matter. Um, keep in mind, this, this can have a, there's two major types of famines. One is sort of like a light switch famine, like the 1944-45 in Netherlands, which happened when the Nazis came in and just shut off the food supplies and, mm-hmm. and shut roads and, and you know, seized food from the Dutch, and they had a cold winter. So that, that sort of famine happens very suddenly, and then it ended very suddenly. But we were trying to parachute them food and getting our airplane shot down, and they got a lot of food to them, but not enough. And the Swedish were trying as well. And finally, our, our people parachuted in and did market garden and, and liberated uh, Netherlands and ended the famine very quickly. So that was only roughly six months, right? But most famines, that's not how they go. They kind of slowly come in. And some people will get that gut. I would suggest everybody read at least five books on famine, just five random books, and you'll see this. You'll see these patterns. Like people, some people will sense it. They're like, "Hey, something's going wrong," and they start squirreling away food. You know, mm-hmm. or as I call, putting away acorns. And uh, and other people just never see it, even when they're in the middle of it. They think, "Well, it's going to get better soon," and it doesn't. You know, and, it, and then the next season, the second season. Is often the worst season, right? Mm-hmm. So you get that first season. Um, most famines don't last for more than about two years, but some last, you know, five, ten years or even longer. Uh, but usually that first season sort of sets you up for the next really hard season because when people start stealing from the stores and the warehouses, and often a lot of fires and famines, actually, interestingly, uh, which you can read in Red Famine and you can read in Mao's Great Famine, two separate books and other famine books I've read, uh, a lot of fires, actually. but uh, And often those are to cover up theft, actually. Mm. People steal, people that work in the warehouses will steal food and then burn the warehouse down to cover, to cover up and they sold. But, um, but you'll see that when governments and people start stealing from farmers, that, when, that's the mm-hmm. real kill shot at that point uh, because now the farmers just aren't growing it. That's why you get into that next season. That's where you get a lot of hop, the human osmotic pressure. Mm-hmm. The human osmotic pressure is that push and pull of migration. So when you get that pandemic famine war, the triangle of death, the tent pole of that that sort of makes the pyramid is the hop, the human osmotic pressure. So mm-hmm. all, all three of those, pandemic famine war, will push people into migration, and they'll be pulled to other places that have food. Now, interestingly, um, and, you know, every famine brings, brings a lot of disease. 
most people actually don't die from malnutrition. They die from disease. Because by the time you're weak enough to actually just drop over dead from starvation, mm-hmm. usually something else got you first, like something they call famine fevers. One of the famine fevers is typhus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, typhus Typhus usually takes a few months. I'm starting to notice more cases of typhus in the United States because I track it every day on my net alerts. I don't even go to CDC anymore. I don't pay attention to them anymore. Mm-hmm. But the, um, the typhus always follows famines, and usually it takes a few months. Another one of the famine fevers is called relapsing fevers. And you, so you have you know typhus and relapsing fevers. You'll always have cholera, actually. And actually, I'm in London right now. There's a great book on cholera called Ghost Map about the 1854 cholera outbreak here. I read the book, and last night I went to the, the pump in 1854 that was dispensing all that cholera. But cholera, mm-hmm. there's no reason for any educated people smart enough to be listening to this show to get cholera. Cholera is a bacteria-borne disease, fecal oral route, goes through the water. All you got to do, uh, do is filter your water or boil it, period. You're not going to get cholera, right? And, uh, or, in, or many of the other waterborne diseases. So there's no excuses for educated people to get waterborne illnesses and, as long as you've prepared in advance and you have your filters and that sort of thing. But so another thing that causes diseases during famine is people do travel from, you know, that hot, that human osmotic pressure that causes them to travel. So they'll take diseases from their location and bring them to another, uh, or they'll pick up new things that they're not, used to their bodies aren't ready for in other locations. People start eating things they don't normally eat. And every salmon I've read about, people go for a tree bark. For some reason, we naturally get attracted to tree bark, mm-hmm. mud. Almost every salmon book I've read, which would be about 20 books on salmon and about 60 mm-hmm. uh, on pandemic since I've been doing this for years. So that's about 80 books between famine and pandemic. And you'll see in every pandemic book, almost every pandemic book, you'll see like here comes the section on famine, right? Mm-hmm. Because pandemic and famine are, are twins almost. So, right. And you'll, but you'll often see people eating leather, eating mm-hmm. tree bark and mud. Often they, people go mm-hmm. for mud. And um, even down, uh, a friend of mine, Chuck Holton, has been down to Haiti. Mm-hmm. And he says he, ladies sell like mud cookies actually in the market. Literally mud cookies that are sun-dried mud cookies. Yeah. So these are the sorts of things that are sort of uh, normal, actually, in famines. But it's clear that we're going into global famines on a scale that's just never happened before. The fertilizer's just not there. Right. And remember, the ultimate kill shot is energy. Energy, energy, energy. That's why I'm Mm -hmm. constantly watching the energy. And, uh, you know, the the natural gas that's required to make those nitrogen-based fertilizers, starting to get a diesel shortage here in Europe, Mm -hmm. and, and also... Diesel, of course, we have to have that diesel to run the farm equipment. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, yeah. let me drink some water here. No, and, it's um, okay. I was just wondering because I, I know that there are people going, okay, well, what signs are we seeing now? We're, we we Obviously, the stupid headlines that are so asinine and ridiculous, I can't even believe anyone would actually believe that we're begging for oil. We do have oil reserves here. And uh, and they're, they're going ignored, and we own OPEC, so it was absolutely asinine that that headline even surfaced. But... But what? But uh, they are manufacturing this, and so they go oil, and then what do we see in steps? Do you would you say as far as getting closer to um, scarcity? What are those steps from right now? With okay, we're we're going to get less oil, less oil, less oil. Oil is going up, up, up. Are we just going to get outpriced, or and it's just going to keep going up? Or when do you start to see scarcity? 
that's too complex to predict. I mean, mm-hmm. like, for instance, in January 2020, when I started warning about famine, I couldn't tell you the mechanism how we would get there. I can only tell you that through long period of time and the many books and wars and conflicts I've been into, I know that these things run together, right? right. If you get this one, that one's not coming far behind it. It is coming. It's not going to limp to catch up, as they say, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and so but how it actually unfolds, my, my headlights aren't that bright. And uh, so, but um, what, you, what you can see is famine always creates war, right? Mm-hmm. So as we go into these famines, I can't tell you what wars that it will create. Right. But I can tell you it's going to create, the, the famines that are going to unfold are going to create wars. Civil war? Do you think how, civil? How, how are they going to manifest? Civil? I think civil, civil mm-hmm. like for instance in the 1840s in, uh, in Europe, Mm-hmm. Uh, they called them the hungry 40s and the 1840s. And then, of course, 1848 was like revolutions all over Europe. Mm-hmm. And that's why I keep calling this global 1848. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, we're, we're going into global 1848 again. Uh, certainly famines. Look what just happened in Sri Lanka. Last time I was in Sri Lanka was about, I don't know, four or five years ago. There was maybe five or six years. I don't remember. Uh, but it was there was a lot of food. It was not expensive. Everybody was doing, going about their Sri Lankan business. I like the place. And then, you know, they went organic, quote mm-hmm. unquote, and uh, went straight into a food crisis just earlier this year. And next thing you know, look at the videos. They, the huge numbers of people stormed the presidential palace. They were swimming in his pool, working out in his gym, and sleeping in his bed. You should see some of the videos. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, the same thing's going to happen in Bangladesh. India, when I just had, I had a couple dinners with Jordan Peterson recently in Netherlands, and one of the dinners we had a CEO from a chemical company that makes ammonia, ammonia, you know, nitrogen-based fertilizers, and he was warning about India. He said, you know, uh, a lot of the fertilizers that we make here in Europe go to Brazil, places like Brazil and mm-hmm. India, and India's just not going to be able to get it. They can't get it from China. China's not exporting it. They're not right. going to be able to get it enough from Russia. Uh, India is just not going to be able to make it. I spent a year in India, and I can tell you what, uh, that place is often on the edge. Mm. And um, it's an amazing country that they can even stay together. I mm-hmm. always ask Indians, how do you, how do you even do this? You know? Right. And it's like, right. uh, but somehow they, they you know, keep it together. But food, food will create civil wars. It always does. Again, the, the 1840s was called the hungry 40s for a reason. And, and because they were hungry, and it was mm-hmm. uh, and, and the eighteen forty eight revolutions all over Europe due to that hunger, yeah. and of course that's right when the uh, you know Karl Marx and Engels started coming out with their quote unquote masterpieces that have led to the deaths of untold millions of people around the world, you know the birth right. of communism, which mm-hmm. um, yeah so you, you can you can count on any any time there's famine uh, there's there's definitely going to be war yeah. Sadly. And, uh, and you know, you can study a little bit of uh, the Holodomor and all these different uh, things that have occurred in the past and how they did it and what they did. And they, they took the land from the uh, farmers, even Venezuela took the land from the farmers um, and then were kind of giving it to um, or t- took the land from the landowners and gave it to um, the poor in an equality move. And then, of course, it backfired because they hadn't invested in the land. They didn't know exactly what to do with this land and so the land and um, all of the uh, there's like a, there, there's so many case scenarios that we can look at in history and go, oh, well, they did this and they did this. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the country's without food and we're 
we're going to be looking at a global crisis. I just hope people are right now listening to that little voice and saying, I need to do something. Go to preparewithkate.com and go get some food storage. Like do it every week so that you have stuff coming in every single week so that you know that you've got it. And, um, you know, put it someplace where, you know, where, you know, I'm just saying that, you know, sometimes governments get a little greedy um, and you're up against that too. So make sure that you've got it in a good place. But let me, let me say that, you know, Michael, I appreciate you coming on. It's, it's a scary subject and I, I'm sorry for a Friday show, scary subject, but at the same time, we better get our act together and listen to that little voice. Cause the more we ignore it, this problem is not going away. I really appreciate you, Michael. Thank you. Can I say just one more thing? Sure. Go for it. Uh, I mean, all of us are descended from people that have been in a lot of famines and a lot of pandemics and a lot of wars. Everybody listening to this mm-hmm. comes from a long family tree who's been through That's a true. lot. And we're still here, right? We're still so, here, yeah. you know, if you, if you prepare and you work on your human network and you think it through now, you're going to get through this. If you thought it through and you work on your human network, you'll get through it. So right. Do it and, uh, and be a leader. Okay, I like that. Thank you so much, uh, Michael. Really appreciate you. And of course, be faithful, be fearless. Have a great weekend, everybody. And uh, digest this, take this in, and do something. And that's how we get a little peace in our life. Um, But uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for that. And uh, hang on the line, Michael. I'll I'll say goodbye to you in just a moment. But I really appreciate you guys. Go get the commemorative coin, please, and help out Truth and Radio so we can keep this show going. We'd really appreciate you guys doing that. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and my employees and I want to thank each and every one of you for your support by bringing you the MyPillow that started it all. MyPillow's patented fill adjusts to your exact individual needs regardless of your sleep position. Because it works, we've sold over 70 million MyPillows, and now I'm bringing it to you for the lowest price ever. For example, you get my standard MyPillow, now only $19.88 with your promo code. Now's the time to get them for your friends, your family, your neighbors, everyone you know. My pillows make the best gifts ever. In the times we're in, one thing we all need is getting a great night's sleep. So go to mypillow.com or call that number on your screen now. Use your promo code and you'll get my standard my pillow for only $19.88. For a more custom fit, my premium queen, only $24.98. Or my premium king, only $29.98. This is a limited time offer, so order now. What a fantastic sale. Use the code word Kate. It helps the show. You can get up to 90% off right now. Take advantage of it. Stock up for Christmas. So many deals that Mike is doing, and it also helps expose election fraud. Thanks, you guys. Use the code word Kate.